welcome back to ADHD Money Talk, the show that helps dynamic but distracted ADHD brains take back control over their money in order to stress less, live a more enriching life, and open up new, amazing, exciting, and awesome and fantastic possibilities. I am your humble and very ADHD host, Dave DeWitt. I had less time than usual to prepare this episode because I'm going to be out of pocket the rest of the week. It is Tuesday today with class but I am determined to keep it going without missing a week. So the quick turnaround is not gonna slow me down. I have never been busier in my life, and that's a great thing, but it has been testing my limited ability to plan and organize my days and manage my time well. I'm getting by, but boy, it's a whirlwind. I do have to give myself credit for figuring out on my own certain things that have worked for me and continue to work for me and keep me sane like my planner that now goes with me everywhere and is basically an extension of my brain. And so with that, I did want to share the way I use my planner, I think, to pretty good effect because maybe it'll help you navigate this very linear world in a non-linear fashion. But after that, we're going to talk about the next phase of our financial journey, and that is to figure out what to do with the money you already have and that you are now saving. You have your plan, you have some goals, you know your values, you're spending mindfully, and you're executing on a budget. You've made an incredible amount of progress. And all of a sudden, you have this thing called real, tangible savings. So what do we do with it? So we'll talk about that, and then we'll do another listener question. Keep them coming, folks. That is the one thing I ask of you today. I have FORO, F-O-R-O, fear of running out of listener questions. So ask me, respond to the newsletter email or visit ADHDmoneytalk.com and click on ask me a question. The other great place is Instagram. You can send me a DM or respond to the story where I ask you to leave me a question. I would love to hear about the particular struggles and questions you have. Give me your story and give me a question. Maybe you have questions about investing, your 401k, what to do with money you came into, money mindset questions, credit card debt, whether you should pay your mortgage off, even ask me about insurance. Oh, fun. What? Do you want to ask me an exotic question? Do it. Want to know my thoughts on crypto? Ask me. Investing in stocks, tips for getting started investing, real estate investing, fire away. Nothing is off the table. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And so with that, let's get into the show. So first, I wanted to chat about time management and planning for a few minutes because I have been pushed to my limit lately with everything that I'm doing right now. As you may have heard about ADHD, ADHDers tend to have a very binary concept of time. There is the now and then there is the not now. We all know what now feels like. It's when you're finally 12 hours from a deadline for a project, which most people will do over the course of a week but that you now have to do in 12 hours. And at least from my experience, you end up doing it pretty damn well because under the gun is when you thrive. But it's not without a good helping of medication, caffeine, and sacrificing some sleep. And in my experiences, a few days of a lull afterwards where you are recovering from max effort exertion. Now, there are things that are, let's say, further than 24 hours out to make it simple, There are things that we completely forget even exist until it dawns on us that we have to get on it ASAP. So now is, oh crap, if I don't finish this report by tomorrow, I'll probably be fired. Not now is, my car has had the check engine light on for six months, but it's driving fine, so we're good. No need to worry. Now 
is when your car breaks down on your way to work to hand in that report. Can you imagine being organized in such a way where you actually plan out the important things coming up in advance and then methodically tackle all of these things? This is just not the ADHD experience. One of the reasons I think we are bad at appreciating and taking care of the not now things is because our experience of the now is so intense. The thoughts, sounds, and smells that enter our brains come with an extra punch. I don't know how it feels to be like the very average neurotypical person. From what I've read and can just imagine, it's probably really boring. But I guess if you're a neurotypical, then that is just, that's just what you do. I just don't get it though. The intensity with which ADHDers and I experience the now leaves very little room for mindful contemplation over the not now things. If we are working on a very important task right now, we are probably in the zone, but even then still jumping from place to place in a nonlinear fashion and have to block and tackle our way through many obstacles that continuously spring up at the wrong time. How many of you guys start on a task that is the most important thing you need to do that day, but then momentarily switch off the task? When I make these shows, I'm essentially typing them out all in my voice. But if I tried to just use notes, I would never get through this because I would just completely go all over the place, ramble and have to stop and start and stop and start. So let's say it should take me three hours to write a podcast script. I'll start typing and then a few minutes in, it pops in my head that I forgot to respond to an important email that is moderately important, I would say, but could certainly wait. But at that point, there's simply no chance I'm not responding in that moment Because if I went back to writing the script, all I would think about is responding to that email and it would bug me until I just did it. And once I respond to the email, there's a good chance something else will pop into my brain and I'll do that thing and ultimately not even get back to the script until an hour later and get nowhere near finishing the task for the day I originally set out to do. It's almost like I start my days in the middle and I simultaneously work forwards and backwards in no discernible order or logic until somehow some things do end up getting finished amazingly. And the things I get finished are often not the things that were the most important things to get finished. So what I've adopted to give myself a bit of an edge and help mitigate some of this a little bit, nothing can cure this. I mean, I'm just it's just the way I am. I work in a very sporadic and crazy and wild and illogical way. And that's just it. That's just the way it's going to be for me for the rest of my life. But there are things I can do to just give myself that extra 20%, which can make all the difference. So what I do to help myself out is I do use a daily planner. And I only started using a daily planner about three months ago. And I use it in such a simple way that I've actually managed to stick to it for about three months. Like I said, So this planner is called the Full Focus Planner. And to be honest with you, I don't really recommend it because at first I thought it was so cool with the way it was structured and set up, but it's too expensive and I don't even use all the cool things they have in there. At the beginning of the week, I write down the three most important things that I need to do that week that absolutely must get done. So that gives me a whole week to do three things. I'm not talking about crazy things like crazy projects, just three tasks that may be a part of a project or a singular task that can get done in one day. But these are the three things I got to get done. And then each day, I'll write down two to three important things that I need to work on that day, which generally support the three important things for the week. I don't give myself actual deadlines as the important things for me are usually now kinds of things that just have to get done one way or the other. 
And then to the right of those three important things for the day, I have my continual perpetual list of not now backburner things. It's five to 15 things at any given time. And this is things that are for work as well as things that are not for work that I do need to get around to doing. And as I slowly tackle these things here and there, I remove them from the list and I add things as they come into my head. Every single day, I turn the page and I rewrite down the list of things that I need to do on the back burner. They are always there haunting me every single day. So I'm constantly, constantly, constantly writing down the same things, but this way it's staying in the front of my mind. I'm constantly removing these items that are in the back of my mind that need to get done to the front and then really out of my brain and onto my external hard drive, which is the planner. And this helps keep the old noggin up there a little less cluttered and does seem to help me get things done a little bit more efficiently. Now, there are things on there that I've been writing every day for like three months that I still haven't gotten to, and I'm not sure when I will. So it's not the perfect solution, but it does help me keep me feel a little bit more in control, a little bit more calm as things start to get a little hectic around me. And so maybe if you haven't tried using an external hard drive, aka a planner for your brain, you can give it a go. So in recap, all I do is have the three things I need to get done for the week, three things each day that help support those things for the week. And then I have my perpetual never-ending back burner list that I rewrite every single day so it stays in my mind fresh enough so that I don't forget them and I will eventually do them. So that's that. The other thing that I have tried for time management is using a visual timer. So what I'll do is I'll start a task and I'll crank up the timer and pretend I am racing the clock. What always happens is I'm not done the thing I'm doing when the bell goes off. And even if I told myself I would switch to a different task when time ran out, I inevitably just crank it back up 30 minutes and keep doing the task. So is it helping? I don't really know. I think a little because the act of cranking it to do work is an intentional action on my part that tells my brain that it's time to start doing something. So I'm just going to keep cranking away. Now, there are certain hacks out there that just do not work for me that I've heard other people do, like making fake earlier dates for things. My brain looks right through that BS. Uh, And when I used to try and use my phone in notifications for time blocking, it absolutely did not work. I don't, won't, and really can't work in a logical, orderly way. So I just embrace it. Like I can't do from 10 to 12, I'm writing a blog. And from 12 to two, I'm doing my podcast. And from two to four, I'm working on a client's plan. Yeah, it's just not going to be that way. My brain has its own constantly shifting order of priorities and it's just going to do what it's going to do. And so that's really that. And so why don't we stop talking about that and start talking about personal finance? I mean, that is, after all, why you're listening to this podcast, right? Not to hear me talk about time management. So what the heck should we do with these savings now that we are executing on our budget? All right, friends, if you've been following along, you know that we first talked about the big picture, learning what about money is even important to us and crafting some goals. What are goals without a plan to get there, though? Financial goals cost money. You do have to buy your goals in the same way you go out and buy a new pair of jeans. And if you are spending money on other things, you aren't going to be able to buy your goals. So that's why we had to figure out a way to budget and save that we could repeat and be consistent with over the long haul. When you're buying a goal, you're not buying it all at once. You're slowly buying that goal. 
So whether it's retirement, going on a big vacation, you are slowly tucking money away with a purpose in order to make that thing come true. And so even after the successful budget, there can still be a lot of obstacles and temptations because putting money towards your retirement isn't necessarily the same instant gratification as you get when you go buy that new oven that basically cooks for you. Or maybe you're walking through a shopping center and you see a pair of new shoes and they just absolutely speak to you. And you've kind of had a stressful day and the feeling of having these new shoes just feels irresistible. How are you not going to fall into the trap of self-sabotaging your progress? For one, you have your one-page plan on your fridge and you're constantly reminded of more important things. That will help. But we all know how it goes. Sometimes that ADHD spending devil just really knows how to get his or her way. We need to set up more speed bumps. We need to make it as hard as possible on ourselves to relapse into those bad financial habits. There's still a lot of work to do, and we're going to talk about all of it. But for the purposes of this episode, we want to assume that you did your one-page plan, you have your goals, and they are to be able to retire and to be able to go on a yearly vacation starting in three years with your family. But you have considerable credit card debt that stemmed from a year-long hyperfixation on collecting rare Beanie Babies, which are now in a box in the garage. You just so happened to get really unlucky and the Beanie Babies you bought were counterfeits and now you have worthless Beanie Babies and 8K in credit card debt. You also have no idea what is going on with your retirement plan at work. You have no real savings, you're essentially paycheck to paycheck and you have been doing a good job of just barely staying afloat each month, though occasionally you time things wrong and you get hit with an overdraft fee before your paycheck comes in. But the good news is if you listen to this podcast, you did that one-page plan and you just have successfully implemented the ADHD-friendly budget and you have $300 of savings. You are proud of yourself and you should be. But now what? Your gut instinct is to use it to pay off credit card debt. It's a really good thought, but I am here to tell you it's wrong. You said you had no savings. That's why the first thing you're going to do is open a new savings account and call it Life Happens Fund. You can also call your existing empty savings account, rename that fund, or rename that account the Life Happens Fund. That is what I call my emergency fund because emergency just sounds intense and scary and I would much rather put my money into the Life Happens Fund. So what I use is Capital One Banking and I really do love it. With Capital One Banking, you can open up new savings accounts in pretty much an instant and nickname them, and there are no fees. So the first step is to save money into your Life Happens Fund before you pay off credit card debt. Before I get into how much you can consider saving, I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't think any emergencies are going to happen, and the credit card debt just seems so more important, yada, 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 yada. No. While you are right that an emergency probably won't happen, that's the thing. Emergencies always probably won't happen. They're always unexpected. And let's face it, with our ADHD, we are a little more emergency prone and accident prone. And by the way, a life happens fund also pays for things that you just didn't see coming, that you could have seen coming, that you won't see coming because you have ADHD. So for instance, you have a four-year-old and You're not going to think about sending them to summer camp until it's one month before. And what money are you going to use to send them to summer camp? See, 
That's what I mean. That's life happens. Life just comes at you so fast. You need to have a fund of money to pay for life. So an example of almost emergency that happened to me, probably thanks to my ADHD, is I completely forgot to turn off my outdoor hose from the fall when I was using it to water new trees I had planted. And during the deep freeze we just had, the hose exploded and water was running out into our neighbor's yard for like five hours in the middle of the night. So like, yeah, I don't need to say anymore. Luckily, on this case, everything was okay, but something very expensive could have happened. And if I had to go into debt to solve that, that would not be good. So things happen. Going back into debt would have been so discouraging and really derailed my own personal momentum. And what if something more durable happens, like you lose your job or God forbid you become disabled? With disability, there's usually a 180-day elimination period where you get nothing before your disability payments from private insurance come in. And with social security disability, it's a five-month waiting period. So if you have no savings, your life just got very difficult for a period of time. So ultimately, you're going to want to have three to six months of income's worth of savings laying around in your life happens fund for a rainy day or God forbid, a rainy six months. But to start out, we'll just want to get at least a small amount of savings in the life happens fund. There are a few different schools of thoughts. I think having one month's worth of income is usually a pretty conservative approach for an initial emergency fund. Another approach is to add up all the deductibles of your insurance policies and save that much. That way, if something happens to your car, house, or health, you won't have to go into debt to pay for the deductible. I prefer one month of income, but really, it's up to you. This is generally a higher amount and will make the odds of having to go into more debt to deal with a life happen situation fairly low, and you do not want to lose momentum. Another underrated part of the Life Happens Fund is that it just makes you feel secure. And this can't be overstated. When you use every last penny you have to pay off credit card debt, You are maintaining a slim margin of safety, which maintains a healthy level of money stress going on in your brain. Funding your Life Happens Fund will be the first shot of peace of mind you get during this whole financial journey, and you're going to like it. And remember, I urge you to open up a new savings account and give it a nickname like Life Happens. If you are at a stingy bank with fees and annoying rules, consider moving. Capital One is great. If you have multiple credit cards from different issuers and bank accounts at different banks, I would like you to consider moving everything to one institution that is fee-free and friendly. I am fully at Capital One apart from a joint checking account with Honeydew, which I talked about last week. And so when I log into Capital One, I see everything. So open a new account and set up a direct deposit directly into your emergency fund or set up automatic savings from your checking account into the Life Happens Fund each month until you hit your goal of one month's worth of income. Now, I prefer doing the direct deposit method because usually it's harder to log into your HR system to change your direct deposit if you are employed in such a way that you have that. And it is another speed bump to changing it once you set it up. Now you have named and externalized the purpose of this basket of money and you'll be a lot less likely to dip into it for something other than life just happening. Okay, so... Now that I'm thinking about it, I said last week I would mention how I am utilizing the Honeydew joint checking account when we were talking about budgeting. So I think now is a perfectly good time to share with you the strategy I am using because I do think it's a good tactic that is working well for us so far. So me and Milady, we use Honeydew for joint budgeting. 
I decided I would open the joint Honeydew checking account and use it as a budget buffer. So what I am doing is I am having a small amount of money automatically deposited into the joint checking account every pay period. Once that joint checking account, the Honeydew checking account, gets over $1,000, I will move the excess over 1000 into our savings vacation fund. Now, this represents a future reward for sticking to our budget. So on any month we go over our total budget, we are going to stop using our credit cards and switch to using the Honeydew debit card as a quote-unquote punishment for going over our budget and then taking it away from our vacation savings fund. So this is something you can do too to add a fun reward element to sticking to your budget in a way that is pretty much automatic. Okay, so that's all I'm gonna get into today for the financial topic. It's the emergency fund. That is step one, the initial emergency fund. And next week, we'll move on to tackling icky, awful, nasty, the apex ADHD predator known as credit card debt. And for now, let's wrap up today's show with a listener question. Okay, so the question today is from Denise. She asks, what are some tips and tricks on not impulsively buying? A lot of times I find myself in the extremes. I am either on a binge or I go nowhere and do nothing and buy nothing. And the only joy I get is grocery shopping. How do I find middle ground? Great question, Denise. And this is so true about what so many of us ADHDers experience with shopping and other areas of life where we just bounce from one extreme to the other. It's kind of like bin shopping is exciting and triggers dopamine. And so is also going on a spending cleanse. Because once you get fixated on the idea of a spending cleanse, you can stick to it with ease. But we all know how it ends up ultimately. I experienced this myself when it comes to weight. I used to go from one extreme to the other, working out for four months so hard, losing 25 pounds and getting in amazing shape and then burning out and barely working out the rest of the year and putting it all back on. Did that like four years in a row, guys. It's terrible. So it really is a great question. Finding middle ground here is very hard, but I think it is doable. You just have to stay very mindful and present about it and you have to have a plan and you have to have a budget. The budget is gonna be very helpful because it allows you to still be able to buy things without guilt as long as you stay within your parameters. It means you make small sacrifices here and there, but it will help you be thoughtful and intentional about what and why you are buying something that you might otherwise deprive yourself of if you were doing a spending cleanse after a spending binge. And then of course, as long as you have your strategy set up, there are tactics you can use when you feel yourself slipping into a spending binge phase. One tactic I love is the 72-hour rule, also the 48-hour rule. Choose whichever one you want. But basically, when you're online shopping, you put something in your cart that at the moment is sparking all this joy in you and you just want to buy this thing. You put it in your cart and you wait 48 to 72 hours and then you revisit your cart. And if you're still having that incredible feeling of joy and you just really want this thing, well, then maybe you can go ahead and buy it. However, if you're just like, eh, not a whole lot of joy being sparked right now, then you probably don't really want it, need it, and don't buy it. It's a great tactic. Another tactic is to ask yourself before you buy anything at all, you ask yourself, is this thing going to add lasting value to my life? And then based on your reaction, you'll probably be able to tell pretty quickly if you are just lying to yourself to make yourself buy it or if it's really not that important to you. 
We have tricky and deceptive brains. There's no question about it. Also, like we talked about last week, try tracking your spending on paper for a few months. Report back to me if anything changes after you do this. Also, like we talked about last week, try tracking your spending on paper for a few months and report back to me if anything changes with the way you interact with your money and things when you go shopping. It might be subtle differences, but let me know if you notice anything. I really hope that helps you, Denise. And thanks so much for the question. All right, I had a great time as usual today. I hope you did too. It's a little rush, but I got through it and we'll be back on track next week. See you then. I'm out of here.